What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Dish Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all of support and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. And make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Dish Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. What's going on, everybody? This is your host of Deep Dish Conversations, Jerome Moore, and we have an excellent guest. I'm excited about this one, a Nashvilleian OG, Raheem Buford. How you doing, Raheem? Man, I'm doing great. Good morning, and thank you. Thank you, thank you for um, inviting me yeah. to have a conversation and yeah. some good, good food, you know? My, my theory is, Raheem, you could never have a bad conversation when pizza's involved. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it, can't, it can't go wrong absolutely. when pizza's involved. Absolutely. But um, but I just, I want to thank you for being here. Um, mm-hmm. You have an amazing story. You have an amazing journey. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited for people, our watchers, to learn about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as I mentioned, I know you, you grew up here in Nashville. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about um, what part of Nashville you grew up in and um, yeah. how, how was growing up in mm-hmm. Nashville during your time compared mm-hmm. to, not in, compare Alcatraz to yeah. what you see now? Yeah, so my upbringing is, is, is in two parts. So uh, I was born um, in 1971, uh, Hubbard Hospital, out south, okay. and to a single parent mother. I'm the third born of seven total. And uh, my early beginnings were very humble, uh, South Nashville, Nolensville Road. Um, in the early parts of my life, on um, there was this street um, that at the very bottom of it was was a fruit stand. Okay. And I don't know if you are familiar with the uh, Nolensville area, where uh, Harding Place. There used to be a Harding Mall. Okay. Yeah, and there was on Nolensville Road. There was just a service merchandise. And there was the very first Lake Providence Church, okay. real close to uh, a street called uh, Flora Maxwell. And so I lived um, early on, on on a street called Providence Heights. Okay. And on top of that hill, uh, most of those houses my granddad had built. He was a, a World War II veteran okay. and seemed normal for, for looking back as a kid. Because what do you know as a, ch- as a child? just ripping and running, hanging with my grandmother, picking wild berries, poke salad. Um, we actually had an outhouse. We didn't even have running water. Wow. And we, we would get our water from next door from Miss Maggie May. And I used to um, just play around with my brothers on top of the hill. And I remember as early as three and four. And so uh, by the time I was, I would say five, uh, we were living in Winstead Manor, which is on Edmondson Pike. My mother had been uh, moved into an apartment, and by that time there were four of us. Actually, there were five of us. At and I'm 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 up to like 76 now. Okay. And just just normal, normal, hanging out. My mom working, staying with my grandmother, and then I think in 1977, my my mom met my stepdad. Then we migrated. Uh, who became my stepdad, we migrated out to Northeast Nashville, Parkwood area, okay. Brick Church Pike, Ewan uh, Lane, Dickerson Road, right. um, and we, Parkwood Villa, right. and uh, from six 
all the way up till 18, that was what you would call my hood, right. my stomping ground, adjacent to Golden Valley, right. Oak Park, uh, right. Norcrest, <laughs> all of that was my, right. that was my neighborhood. Right. And um, right. uh, early on, you know, school was cool. I didn't do well. Um, I thought I was dumb actually. And, and it was because of the grades that I made. And if you didn't get a good grade, what? A, B, or C, you're thinking, you know, naturally, like, I must not be, be smart. smart. At least right. that's what I thought. But, um, of course, later on in life, I learned that um, I'm an auditory learner. Mm. And I need to experience education right. Right. Uh, before I take it in. Right. So, um, hands-on. Hands-on. But also, I realized later in life, too, that the educational stimulus was not enough to move the type of brain that I had. Right. In other words, it was boring. Right. And so I was really smart. It's just that the information that was given to me didn't appeal to me. Right. And how it was given to you, right? The right. technology wasn't, right. didn't fit your learning. Right, actually, you know? actually, yeah. And so, uh, you know, very young age, man, I found myself into all kinds of stuff. We were poor. Mm. Um, I didn't think we belonged in the neighborhood. It started small, you know, as my life moved into a negative, uh, going to the little store, stealing out, you know, bubblegum, right. now type stuff, because we didn't have anything. Right. Other kids had, when the buddies, I don't know if you even, buddies, buddies they, they, they the cost a dollar forty nine, they make your feet feel fine. Those are the kind of things that um, brought about a lot of shame right. growing up. Right. When um, uh, the cougars from pick and pay, the smacks, the jeans, not the Lees, not the Levi's, you know, or the parachute pants and things like that. Mm -hmm. So those were the worst times, you know, right. realizing that I was poor. Right. And um, the way your status worked as, as a kid was like, you had to have these external things to be a part of your identity. Right. And uh, so I said, you know, I'm not gonna be a nobody. Right. So I found myself engaging in activity that I would later learn to be crime. Right, and so, you know, I think you're touching on a lot of good points that even still to, to this day, especially amongst our youth, that if we don't have or our youth don't have these certain things, these certain shoes, these certain clothes, we don't fit in or right. we're not who we should be, right? right? And that leads to criminal activity or getting to find right. a way to get those things right. and that may be through criminal right. activity. Right. And I want all of our, our, our listeners and our watchers, mm -hmm. you know, tuning in, uh, we're going to get into your, to your journey to Absolutely. the meet. And this is very important because I think um, you know, prison is no game, right. you know, and I, you know, I have family members who's been in prison and jail and there's a distinct difference than being in that county and being right. in the prison or even being in the feds, right? Right. Um, and you did 26? I was caged for 20, 26 years of, of my life. And uh, so can you, can you tell us about what led you to that, to being caged for 26 years and then yeah. your development uh -huh. over those 26 years yeah. to where you are now? Because, yeah. you know, now I know it's a lot uh -huh. to unpack right. and we'll yeah. go through it. But. Yeah, so I can abbreviate it and, and, and just hit certain points and if right. there are things that you might want to dive deeper off right. into right. As, as this is a deep dive conversation, right. uh, we can do that. Right. But fast forwarding to growing up in, in my neighborhood, so I had two older brothers and, and one of my brothers, you know, may rest in peace, Robert, he was the dude that made me fight like I didn't want to fight, but he made me fight because right. he would pick on me and right. it, it just made me, you know, and, and in my home, this corporal punishment thing existed. Mm -hmm. And as you may know, corporal punishment uh, dates back to uh, carceral slavery uh, right. and how 
uh, whips were used to control behavior of right. African enslaved individuals right. and uh, using pain to control behavior. And so that was implemented in my home. And I know like a lot of um, parents even today think that it's okay to use these means by which to uh, discipline. But the, the result from, for us was is that, you know, it made us bad worse you know right, what i mean right. and the things that happened to us we did it to other people in the neighborhood right and so being groomed to be this person that i really wasn't right uh, but influenced to be uh in life it came out in different ways and so what actually caused me to end up in prison was a series of events uh it started with first of all at a very young age i had a pistol in my neighborhood, if you don't have what we call them straps, tones, right, pieces, yeah, if you didn't have those, yeah. you felt a bit uh, vulnerable to being harmed. Right. That's just the way it was, and right. I can't explain why. But what happened is, I remember like yesterday, me and one of my homeboys, I'm gonna call him C, so as not to expose who he really was, we had done, and, and um, we were in this stolen car, and we did right. a burglary. Well, I remember like yesterday, we were in this stolen car, it was a Grand Prix. I'm going down Ewan Drive. I remember like yesterday, police pulled behind us. I pulled behind the dollar store, Brick Church Pike, uh, uh, Ewan Drive right there. Dumped up out of the car. He didn't jump out. I hit the creek, crossed the street, made it home. Mama waiting on me. She said, he already told on you. Dang. Yeah. Next thing you know, I'm going to juvenile. Not for two or three days. I get a juvenile sentence. Right. And I end up, after I went to Spencer Youth Center, I was in TYC. And what changed me was, while I was at TYC, Tennessee Youth Center in Jolton, Tennessee, my grandmother died. Mm. I didn't know how to experience death because it never happened before. So it was the first time in my life that I felt pain and no one had hit me. Wow. And how did you feel when C told, you know, snitched on you, told on you? Yeah, so I really didn't even think about it because they put me back in a police car. Okay. So at age 16, I experienced police brutality because they drove us to the place where we were selling the stolen items. Right. Police took me out of the car. I remember like yesterday, leather jacket, uh, Delta Force Nikes, um, um, uh, stonewashed jeans, and Azard, uh, black and white Azard shirt. Police grabbed me out of the car, lift me up, put me on the car, on the, the hood, of, not the hood of the car, but the, the, tr the, the top, the of, the top of, the of the car, and tell us where it's at, tell us where it's at, and you know, right. and I didn't. Right. He put me back in the car, what I didn't know, he was recording. And I said, man, you punk ass right. What you tell them folks? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm telling on myself, they're recording me. Wow. Because I didn't know. Wow. Yeah. Entrapment. <laughs> yeah, well, right. that's if, you know. Right. But so my grandmother's dead. I get a pass to the funeral. Okay. I don't know. All I know is me and my stepbrother, man, we committed a robbery within that time frame, I drove all the way down Nolensville Road, at the end of Nolensville Road, away from town, there was a quick sack. 
we were in this Cutlass Sierra that I hate to admit this because I feel so bad. It was a stolen car. I already had it parked somewhere. I'm just being honest. Right, right, right. Did a robbery and um, um, I remember like yesterday, I was, it was this song, man, uh, Easy E. I think it was um, Easy Does It. And they, they actually went through a robbery. Mm, and I'm not saying rap influences what, but right. it influenced me. Right. I heard those lyrics. Remember I told you I was an auditory learner? Right. I process that information in right. my mind. So I, when I see, when I hear words, I see pictures. Right. Right. That's that's how so my you, brain works. So you said, oh, I can, I can do yeah, this. Yeah, I can do this. Right. I knew I could do it, and I did it. Right. And so as I'm leaving the place and going up back up Nonesville Raw, I see the cops going that way. Right. 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 That changed my life forever. I didn't even know that it would, but. I would eventually get out of juvenile now. I went in in February of 88. I got out in July of 88. Okay. Right? But I got a chip on my shoulder. I'm smoking cigarettes. Right. I'm at home now. I don't care. My stepdad stole my pistol. Mm. We, we get into a fight. I'm the first of my brothers to get out on my stepdad in a fight. And... Um, I knew I had to leave because either he was going to kill me or I was going to kill him. Mm. And my mother knew. Right. And my mother knew and she came down after that fight and she just, first time she ever said what she said to me, she said, son, that's not the man I married. Right. And, you know, went through a series of like heartfelt things she mm -hmm. had said because, you know, he was abusive. Right. I've seen things and I right. guess I took some of that out on him because he hit my mother before and, um, I left home, moved in with who I thought to be a friend, right. lived down the street from us, the guy that I looked up to. And the reason I looked up to him because he was the first dude to manhandle my stepdad. Okay. He saw him trying to whoop me in the backyard, whipped me with a belt running, chasing me. He right. jumped three fences, grabbed him, picked him up. You know, dude, right. like, you ain't get up off of him. Right, you know what I'm saying? Right, and right. it was like, I'm like, that's right. my hero. <laughs> right, that right. dude put it down, right. taught me how to cut hair. Um, I mean, this, I love this guy, man, like a big brother to me. And uh, I, lived, I moved in with him. And one day, you know, he had told me, he woke me up. He said, young blood, he said, uh, man, you got to go back home. He said, I can't pay the rent. Mm. He said, I'm chapter 13 and I'm, um, I'm paying uh, uh, child support. And I said, what if I can get the money? Right. Committed a robbery, got the money, didn't have to go back home. Right. But guess what? thing about stuff like that is that you know, it gets addictive in right. some ways. Right. Next thing you know, we need some more money. I mean, committing a robbery. Right. Well, out in Madison, used to be a Lee's chicken. Some told me, man, I come outside, my, my tire's flat, but Mr. Know-it-all, I got fixer flat, put back in my car, right. went into the Kroger parking lot and just waited. Right. Scoped this place out, Lee's chicken. Went to the place, went in, saw some people outside, took them in. This is a robbery. Look, I'm just here to get the money. I shot a gun into the floor and the bullet went, <laughs> oh, sorry. And it hit him, hit, hit a man. Right. And I ran, but I grabbed a sack. I was a juvenile, they had my prints. Mm. You're already in the system. I'm already in the system. 
May the 5th, they picked me up at the car wash right across the street from Baskin Robbins on Dickinson Road. 30 police gunned down, gunned, you know, on, they arrest me. In less than a year, after I had three uh, judge-appointed attorneys, well, then I had a public defender, so I had two judge-appointed attorneys, but I ended up with a public, def a public defender. Right. In less than a year, I was convinced to plead guilty to a life and 20-year sentence. In less than a year, I'm in the penitentiary. At age 19, I got a life and 20-year sentence. And they sent me from Nashville to Memphis at MLRC, and from MLRC, they sent me to Tiptonville at a, at a place where youth are. Right. I ended up getting an assault charge. They shipped me to Fort Pillar, and ship means they transferred because slave language is still used in prison culture because right. prison culture is a derivative from chattel slavery. Right, right. Black codes, fragrancy laws, Jim Crow, right. all of that. It's, right. it was, you know, it, oh, it was all wrapped around. it's connected. It's connected, yeah. and, um, from in Fort Pillar where they sent me was real because I had never been in a prison where everything was open and you could see, you know, they yelling fresh meat, all this kind of stuff. Right. You know, I'm scary. I'm, I'm scared right. to death. I ain't gonna lie. Right. And um, you could see right from one cell to the next cell. And it's the same place where Nathan Bedford Forrest killed mm. more than 400 African-American soldiers mm. uh, from the Union. And man, it was crazy. It was crazy. But I mean, I started studying Islam with these Muslim brothers. And um, turns out that I could be forgiven. Right. They, that's what they told me, at least right. I thought and I believed it. So I started studying Islam. And then it motivated me to get my GED. Right. I ended up getting my GED at Fort Pillar. Well, they shipped me to West High or transferred me to West High, not far across the street from West High. I ended up going to Turning Center, Vietnam. Turning Center, Vietnam in um, 1991. You, you, you're in a visit, before you get in the visiting gallery, coming from the compound, they got a picture of Nathan Bedford Forrest and General Lee on the wall. Wow, they setting the tone. Man, two black employees, everybody else white, in Hickman County, surrounded by the Duck River. Ain't no escape, ain't no escape. And that's from 2000, I mean, from 91 to 2002, I grew up in that place. And from 2000, and, and in 2002, and I, and so that was a lot of stuff I'm taking out. Like, right, I right. met my older brother in prison, Chubby, right. may he rest in peace. Right. Joe, it was three of us at the same, I never met the, I, I saw him one time, I was a kid, I didn't know who they really were. Right. But these are my older brothers, we in prison together. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Y'all find y'all. Yeah, y family reunions yeah, and stuff in prison. Right. And prison. then, you know, while I was there, man, my sister was murdered. Mm. And um, when I, my dad died while I was there. Right. I remember being at the casket, looking at this dude, and I'm like, you know, it's like this Tupac song, Me Against the World album, where he said my anger wouldn't let me feel for a stranger. Right. So I'm looking at this man in this casket. It's my dad, but I don't right. feel nothing. Right. Man, this is this 95, is, man. This is real deep dish conversation yeah. right here, man. Yeah. And I know. Um, and 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 I, I would encourage any and everybody that's, that's watching this, you know, reach out to Raheem because there's only so much that we can get in this this interview. Absolutely. There's only so much that we Absolutely. can capture. Yeah. And so I would encourage <laughs> yeah. everybody to reach out. Yeah. If you want to know more, mm -hmm. you know, it's a, it's a ton of information. Yeah. We'll get to that at the end. Definitely. So people can reach out okay. to you. For sure. Um, but 26 years yeah. caged up in that right. environment. 
and so one of the things we talked about off the air was like food, right? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, like, and we we got this great piece in front of us now. Right. You Absolutely. said it makes you appreciate. Yeah. You know, these delicacies. Absolutely. It's like a work of art. Yeah. Um, during your time being caged up, mm-hmm. outside of like food, what were some other things that like that maybe it's a it's a young man out there or a young woman out there that's thinking about you know mm-hmm. doing something mm-hmm. get involved in something they shouldn't be involved mm-hmm. in but they mm-hmm. got something for you right you know they got something for you right. what are some of the things that maybe people are just not aware of but mm-hmm. just like hey this may not be what you want to experience right what are some of those things that you experienced that you know that would that would maybe think make somebody yeah. like oh, okay maybe i don't want to want to okay. get, get into this so you know while i was in prison mm-hmm. as you know first it was my grandmother died then in um, 95, my dad died. 2000, my sister was murdered. Mm. 2000, my granddad died. Mm. I saw 13 people murdered in front of me. And I'm talking about murdered the way that's the movies, like, you know, with the shanks right. and the blood out of the neck type thing. All right, so those are some of the worst things that you, you experience in prison life, right? Right, right? But the thing is, is that when you're removed from society, the social death of going to prison, right you immediately have to adopt a survival mentality. Right. Because without the survival mentality, which makes you not as human as you really are right. meant to be, right. you got to get in beast mode. Right. You got to transform. And so you, mm-hmm. you, you learn things about yourself. And so for the kid or the, the, the young person who's thinking about doing something is that it removes your humanity to a degree just to survive, right? right. right. But even more, if you like birthdays, Right. If you like partying, right. if you like being able to wake up in the morning and not have somebody yelling in your ear, whether right. it's a cellmate who you don't know, who you smell in body fluids, or some officer, some guard, right. some warden, somebody. I mean, you really want to think twice because for the bad choice, one bad choice. Right. I made several. Right. One bad choice can end your life for the rest of your life because living in a prison is really existing for most. Right. Now for me, it became a transformative experience because I really wasn't quote unquote meant to be there in a way that like, yeah, I did wrong. Right. But had I had the right guardrails, mm-hmm. the right structure, right. guidance, I never would have gone to prison. Right. Because I learned later that I, had a, I have a scientist mentality. Right. I could have been a doctor or a lawyer. Right. You know, I could have been anything, anything wanted I wanted to be, but the system threw me away because they thought that I could not be redeemed. Right. I could not change. Right. And that was a lie. Right. And so for that young person who's thinking about, you know, I want this stuff, material stuff is going to come in life. Right. Don't worry about that right. because I have all the trappings of whatever success might look like outside materially now. Right. And you wouldn't know what my past was right. had somebody shared with me that this is the route to take this is how you get it right. which is what i do now right. i give the guidance the information the advice and the opportunities to people who are trans um furring out of prisons right. you know what's up nashville this is raheem buford and i, I just want to encourage you to check out deep dish conversations with jerome moore As y'all can see now, we eating. We eating good. We eating good now. Definitely. Um, 
you were just about to transition right here yeah. into right. how your experience right. being caged up led you right. to the work that you're doing now. Yeah. Um, I know, you know, and this is how we met, you know, it's through the National Cash Bill Fund, mm -hmm. but also your organization, Unheard, Unheard Voices. Mm -hmm. And so can you tell us a little bit about how you taking how you took your experience being mm -hmm. caged up and, and, and mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. transitioning out right. and helping other people that was right. in a situation fight, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. for social justice around mm -hmm. uh, felonism right. and all those things. Right. <clears throat> So that that takes us back to Riverbend Maximum Security Prison, which um, is where I was uh, transferred to in 2002. And I heard they were having college classes from Vanderbilt. I applied to those classes and then they told me I didn't qualify because I had no previous college experience, but I thought that was dumb. Mm -hmm. So what I did was because I was a president of a real quick of an organization, New Beginnings. Mm -hmm. I would see these students and people coming in who are free world people, and I would go stare into the window. About the third time that I did that, a lady came to the window, I mean to the door, and asked me, young man, why are you looking through that window? I said, ma'am, I believe I should be in that room. She said, can you write an essay and tell us why? I wrote that essay to a week, gave it back to her, and a week after that, I'm in college level, graduate level courses at Vanderbilt Divinity School. And that's when I came alive and I realized that higher learning education on the academic level had great opportunity. Right. My voice came alive and then um, her name was Reverend Janet Wolf and we're great friends to this day. Mm -hmm. And I would later, because of that experience, we created this school program called SALT, Schools for Alternative Learning and Transformation. I would meet President Dr. Harris who um, was a Vanderbilt professor as well, he gave me a scholarship to attend American Baptist College and he said, when you get out, mm -hmm. the prophecy of hearing that, when you get out, something in me said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out. Right. Well, 2015, after my third parole hearing and leaving with 15 credits from Lipscomb University, three credits from Ohio University. Mm. Education became my liberation. Right. I'm out June um, um, the 25th, 2015, didn't waste any time, enrolled at American Baptist College. By that January I'm out, I'm an organizer for the Children's Defense Fund Nashville team. That following year, 2017, I incorporate the Unheard Voices Outreach to give not only a voice to formerly caged citizens, but also it was a way to push back against felonism. And felonism is the political, the social, the economic discrimination, disadvantaging of American citizens who uh, are um, convicted of a felony. Right. And so it marginalizes a whole group of people. Right. So we have millions of people all across the United States who can't vote. Right. But what's very sad and profound and needs to be paid attention to is that in Tennessee, 421,000 human beings, citizens, can't vote. That's enough to swing an election. Right. That's felonism. Right. It's not just I can't get a job. Right. I can't get an apartment. Right. It's the political tool that's used by those who are in power. Right. So the unheard voices pushes back against that.
2018, getting ready to um, get into the last phase of my college experience, I need an experience um, uh, field training. I met Don Diener, who was the chief public defender at the time, elected public defender. She introduced me to the Nashville Community Bail Fund founders because right. I'm trying to get some support for unheard voices, but also get you know an opportunity to get this field training out the way. Right. They made me an offer I can't refuse. They said, we will support you, unheard voices, but would you be consider working with the Nashville Community Bail Fund? Wow. This is in 18, um, like March. Something happened, the bail fund manager at the time, she resigned. They, they asked me, would I be willing to step up and you know see if I like, can I? Right. Absolutely. Stepped all the way up, became the Nashville Community Bail Fund manager in 2018. 2019, I graduate from American Baptist College, summa cum laude. <laughs> yeah. And so now I'm a college graduate. Right. My work is decarceration. Um, I've bailed out more than 900 Nashvillians from jail because of the Nashville Community Bail Fund. And what it does is it bridges the gap between those without wealth and those who have wealth and right. says they should be treated the same. And right. so we bail people out of jail who are only charged with offenses. And there's this misunderstanding about people going to jail and thinking that they're guilty. Right. But that's not the case. We've learned in the, the Nashville Community Bail Fund that over 50% of the cases that people are charged with that are not prosecuted, right. no one is found guilty. Right. You see, so what does that say about the larger picture of what is happening with wealth-based detention? And so um, we're moving now as, through an organization and we're gonna change how bail is done in Nashville on the pretrial level because really, just like those who are in prison, right. those who in the pretrial level, only the poor people get the short end of the stick and right. end up and stay there. If right. you got money, you don't spend a night in jail. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right. And so what we learn and what I know now is, is that it's the General Sessions judges who appoint commissioners or magistrates who set bail amounts. Right. This is not TCA statute. Right. And so for any dollar amount, which is a ransom that you put on somebody's body right. that you don't have to, right. just because there is this thing that we're still addicted to, and that's putting a price tag on a poor black body right. rooted in slavery. Right. Again, because when black people were being freed on the plantations, some were still on the plantations and black people had been free, would pull their monies together and buy the freedom of a loved one. Right. Bail funds, the same principle. Right. Money, community, com national community bail fund, go get that person, extract that person out of prison. They're not guilty. We're talking about mothers and fathers. Right. We're talking about people who can lose their jobs. Right. We're talking about people who can lose their, their, their children mm -hmm. on charges right. that we know 50% of them are dismissed. I hope I hope y'all tuning in and really listening to these gems. And again, <laughs> we can sit here and talk wow. about this for hours. But I, 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 how you're speaking about it is so prolific. I know people are going to want to reach out yeah. and want to figure out how they can help and support. If you're good people, because there's no way you can be hearing this yeah. and not saying like, oh, yeah. like I don't want to uh -huh. help out. Um, how can people get involved? Okay. Um, with the cash with the Nashville Cash Bill Fund. Uh, or just bail reform, uh -huh. cash bail reform, mm -hmm. yeah. or um, unheard voices uh -huh. outreach. So with the Nashville Community Bail Fund, all 
anyone has to do is just Google Nashville Community Bail Fund. It's www.nashvillecommunitybailfund.org. All the information is there. We're going to be needing volunteers to participate in our court watch program, which we're just now starting. Because we don't want you to believe just because I'm saying it or some representative from the bail fund is saying it. We want you to bring your eyes and put your eyes on the experience of what's happening in these courtrooms to citizens that don't seem to have the support that they need. And so you can volunteer and be a watcher. Not only can you be a watcher, but if you have skill sets in data analysis, we can use you. We need you. If you have marketing skills, we can use you. We need you. If you have just creative mind, we need to find ways to get into the community and help people understand that just because somebody is charged with offense, it don't mean they're guilty. guilty. Now, that's the Nashville Community Bail Fund. Great opportunity. Um, With the Unheard Voices Outreach, we also have a watchers project where a lot of people in prison Mm -hmm. file for post-conviction. Okay. They go into these empty courtrooms alone in chains and shackles, blue jeans, white stripe, and blue shirt, and get treated like they don't even matter, right? Right. So we want to put eyes on this process and say, yes, you do matter, right? Right. But even more than that, we're connected um, to the Choosing Justice Initiative as we move to um, reform indigent defense. Because in Nashville, if you're poor, a judge selects picks, chooses your attorney. Right. Can you imagine that the same person that's about to announce judgment on your case is also selecting your attorney, picking your attorney, judge-appointed attorneys? Right. So we want to put eyes on that process, but in addition to that, um, Unheard Voices um, Outreach has a, a no vote, no citizen, no freedom campaign to reach out to the 421,000 people who can't vote form this community so um, we can empower ourselves so we can be self-determined and finance the operations to get our voting birthrights back. Because in the early 80s, even people in prison voted. Mm. This is a recent thing in Tennessee. So a lot of people have this false belief that people can't vote because they get convicted of a felony. That's not what happened. It's the people in power, ultra-conservative Republicans in Tennessee said, you know what, it's to our advantage to disadvantage all of you who get these felonies that we created. Let me say that again, that we created. What do I mean by that? Felonies are created by legislators. The very thing that this country is built on, you took a whole country, America, Mm -hmm. right? Right. 5,000 African-American people uh, or more were lynched. Nobody right. went to prison. Right. That's, that's, what we, that's what we know. That's you what we can, that's so what we, can, we got kidnapping. Right. We got robbery. Right. We have language, culture, religion, God taken from a whole people. Right. And those like myself, you're saying I can't wholly, fully participate in society right. because I made one bad choice. Right. Yeah, I did wrong. Right. I did 26 years. Right. But here it is. All these people doing the same things, they don't even go to prison. Police, I mean, Daniel Hambrick, come on, man. Man shot in his back seven seven times. Dude get a $25,000 bill, right? The police officer. But then you arrest this woman over here on a DUI, give her a $400,000 bill, and she died in in jail Mm. recently in the last Mm. 60 days. Mm. So that's why we do this work.
That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And that's why I'm pushing back on the system. Because if you can send me to prison right. and I got to do my time and I got to be held accountable, why not you? I, look, deep this conversation is at its best right here. Uh, Raheem Buford, everybody, reach out. How can, they, how can they contact you? You can contact me, first of all, by going to unheardvoicesoutreach.org, uh, but Raheem at unheardvoices.org, Raheem at NashvilleBailFund.org, Raheem 615-398-1228, that's Unheard Voices Outreach. So you can Google my name, Raheem Buford. I mean... Google me. Yeah, because... <laughs> right. I'm about this work in a real way. Right. I've been doing it since I've been out, 2015. Right. I'm real as I can get it. Right. I just want to see justice for everybody. I'm an American. Right. And right. I deserve an opportunity to really experience a full and a free life. Right. But right now, they're telling me that I got to be on parole for the rest of my life. They're telling me that I can never vote for the rest of my life. I have to ask permission. Constitutionally, whether it's United States or Tennessee, I'm considered a slave. Mm. You got to go read it. They said slavery is prohibited, right. except if you've been duly convicted of a crime. So that ties it all together. Right. It's slavery, mass criminalization, mass incarceration. Right disenfranchising millions of Americans. Right. We don't have a real democracy, undermining it. So, you know, I can go on and on, but I don't have a choice but to do the work that I'm doing. Reach out. <laughs> if y'all ain't feeling this through, this through the lens right now, this is powerful. So I encourage everybody to reach out to Raheem, find out more about cash bail reform, find out more about Unheard. Um, Voices, Voices Outreach. outreach. Mm -hmm. You know, and I know y'all, and this is a lot of stuff I know y'all, I know y'all do the car drives, like, you know, giving, um, recently or formerly, you know, yeah, for, mm -hmm. yeah, um, we got smart individuals, uh, yeah. cell know, phones, smartphones, smartphones, smart. so they do a, they yeah. do a lot yeah. that we didn't, we didn't get a chance to right. really dive in deep or extrapolate mm -hmm. on, but I encourage all of you to reach out to Raheem or go to any of the contact information mm -hmm. that he provided and check all of it out. Mm -hmm. And I know it's something you can do. Mm -hmm. I know it's something that we all can do. To, uh, to join this, this yeah. work and empower people. It's and just build movement. Power. Yeah. It's movement. We build empower. It's a movement. We on, we on all social media, too. Right. Just want to make that clear. Facebook, Instagram. Um, I'm personally there. Right. Unheard Voices is there. Right. Nashville Community Bail Fund is there. Um, all social media. We're on it all, and we're really doing it in real time. That's it. I appreciate y'all's time, and uh, see y'all next time. Raheem, thank you. No, thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Hey, that'll give you chills. I don't know what's going. I don't know what's going to give you chills. In life. Like, like, yeah. man, Raheem, man, get this man another piece. Of <laughs>